the worst bestsellers where we read about a thief who steals art and hearts so you don't have to. I'm Kate. And I'm Renata. And for this episode, we read Nightwork by Nora Roberts. Joining us to discuss the sneaky look into why a rogue is always the best D&D character to choose is Christine the Bard. Hi, guys. Yeah. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me again. And I just want to mention that I have pulled myself away from my Willow fan fiction to read this book specifically just for Nora. So We appreciate that. Thank you. Yeah. It was for and nobody else would I do that just for Nora. Thanks, Christine. Yes. Yeah, Christine is is one of the one of the Nora Roberts experts we're hashtag blessed enough to have in our our stable of podcast friends. The OG Nora expert. Oh no. guys. <laughs> no, actually Catherine was our OG um Nora expert. Oh, that's right. I always forget that we read one not and I always forget the one that we discovered Nora with. I just yeah. feel like she's always been a part of us. Yeah. By the way, this is random. Catherine has is like undergoing treatment for cancer right now. Let's send some Nora Roberts vision board love at Catherine. Oh yeah. Yeah. Could be feel better, Catherine. yeah. So maybe not this book is the best uh one to send vibes with. <laughs> Very true. Uh, yeah, this yeah. So content warning for cancer in this book. <laughs> and parental death and like minor crime. I mean like major crime, but like cool crime. Cool the <laughs> Oh my god, the fucking coolest crimes. <laughs> crimes that happen to the best people. Just, you know, just like, yeah, this this is what I want. This is what the, this is what the liberals want from the world. Yes, eat the rich, eat their gemstones. Yum yum yum. <laughs> uh, okay, so welcome, welcome to Nora Roberts Month. It's February. We have uh, started a tradition where. We start the year off gently and revisit our queen, Nora Roberts, who, if you're new around here, we we did first read her, her books with, with Catherine, um, but have gone on to have other beloved Nora guests. And when we first read a book of hers, we were like, oh, this is going to be bad because she writes so many books. They can't all be good, right? But guess what? They can be. They Astrid's can except be. Except one from the 70s, but don't worry about it. <laughs> I mean, the 70s wasn't a real decade, anyways. That's like, yeah. I was actually, I was talking to Nicole the other day and realizing that Nora is like 73 years old and has been writing for like four decades. Wild. Could you I, imagine? I, I hope she writes for another four decades. Please. <laughs> Okay, so this book, I'm obsessed with it. <laughs> this is so fun. This is almost everything that I want in a book because I've said it before. I'll say it again. I don't like books about cops. I like books about criminals. And Nora <laughs> Roberts was like, here you go. <laughs> and he's the most like carefully engineered criminal where you're like, well, he's not doing anything wrong. Like, he's just, like, stealing bread to feed his family. He's and just stealing priceless gemstones to help his his mother with the mortgage. Yes. He's just a little guy that's just trying to do his best. 
he's just a little guy stealing little gemstones from from the very rich people who won't even miss them. Yeah, who have tons of really expensive gemstones. Just lying around. And probably pretty good insurance policies. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely victimless crimes. Yeah. And he is so... And then, like, his motives are so pure at every turn. (laughs) I love how he likes to break in and just get that feeling of of just being in another person's space. And that's, like, the driving goal of him is just, I love that. I've gone into some place and I'm just that newness. I'm like, really, bud? That's that's what's driving you? It is like she has manufactured him to be. And I say this as a person who loves a heist, who loves, uh, especially like I fucking, if you love leverage, you'll love this book. And I love leverage. And somehow she has made this character uh, who we'll call Booth, but who has about 15 different names. Um, his, like, his Christian name is Harry Booth. Like, Booth was his original last name. Yes. And has somehow made him, like, even more sympathetic than the whole Leverage crew. Like, he is just, you know, the book... Do we want to just go right into it? Yeah. The book starts off with him as a little kid, and his mother has um gotten cancer, and he... Like, the bills are piling up, and his aunt once taught him how to... His mother and his aunt are very close. And he doesn't... His father's not in the picture. And he decides that because his aunt once taught him how to pick pockets, he is going to do that in order to get a little money to help with uh, the bills that are piling up. And then he quickly figures out how to pick locks... And decides that he will do some light burglary also to help his mother with the bills. Yeah, because his mom and his aunt, and the aunt is Mags, and she's an all-time top-tier character. Um, His mother and Aunt Mags co-own a cleaning business called Sparkle Sisters Cleaning Service. And Harry helps out with them, and then he overhears rich people being like, well, my rich friend has priceless stamp collection, and he's going to Europe for a month. And he's like, noted, stealing (laughs) them stamps, baby. But not stamps, plural, because he sets up a series of rules, even as like a fucking nine-year-old. Well, he starts picking (laughs) pockets when he's nine. He starts burglaring when he's 12. Uh, He sets up rules for himself, and the number one rule is never be greedy, because his whole thing is he wants to get in and out without them even knowing he was there. So he only takes, like, one or two things and leaves everything, like, perfect so that they might not even notice the things are missing for a long time. Yeah, so, like, with the stamps, he researches which is the most, most valuable stamps, and then he, like, carefully removes those ones from the stamps album, but, like, leaves the album. And most of the other stamps. Yeah. Yeah, like, he takes, he, he, like, d- he does take stamps plural, though, but he not the majority. Yeah. And so this is how he, like, finances his and his mom's life, is to, like... And and just to beat back the bills and put enough aside for them to, like, go on vacation and him to go to college. And as time goes on, he graduates high school 
and his aunt figures out like when the bills start getting paid every month she's like okay like just promise me you're not selling drugs and you're not selling your own body and he's like no i'm not doing those things i'm doing something else and she's like is it legal and he's like uh and she's like i don't care just don't tell me about it and it's fine and aunt megs is an icon she's like a a big hippie she has tarot card reading she's a crystal witch she is uh she dyes her hair weird colors. Mm-hmm. Then she dyes her scalp weird colors when she shaves her head to support her sister. Yeah. Yes. And I've pulled a quote I want to share because it's iconic. And also, like, one of the first times I remember Nora Roberts um, acknowledging the existence of the queer community, and it's through Mags. And she has shaved her head and then put rainbow glitter on it. And then she says... I used rainbow glitter as a tribute to my gay and lesbian friends, enemies, and strangers. So it's double the pow. And so now, like, Megs has, has gay friends and gay enemies. And that is how you know that she is a true ally. I have gay <laughs> friends and enemies, too. Yeah. Uh, but I guess I'm gay, so it doesn't count. Do you think that maybe Renata, she meant gay and lesbian friends? Like, that's a group. And then enemies and strangers were separate from the gay no i no. in my heart gay and lesbian no it's way funnier if gay and lesbian modifies all three fair totally fair i can see it yep i just want to point out that nora roberts while she doesn't have any main gay characters in her books she you know she's a uh i guess i don't know this for sure but you know i'm pretty sure she's a heterosexual woman um yeah she does a lot of gay characters do show up in her books especially uh the more recent ones so if, That's good. If, I, you're lo- if you're looking for queer characters, they do. She doesn't ignore them. They do show up. So, but yeah, this is, this was a really great quote. Yeah. I've, I've only read as much as I love our queen Nora. I've only read a small sample of her books. So anyway, the, this first part of the book, it, by the way, part one of the book is called the boy, which is very funny to me. Um, the boy. Uh, it's very sweet. Like she, we've said this before, she's really good at writing child characters and the way that child Booth is with his mom and his aunt is so sweet and wholesome. And it's like really, again, like Nora is so good at this where we don't really spend all that much time with the mom, but when she dies, it is devastating. Oh my God. It's very sad. Like I literally sobbed a little bit. Yeah. The first part. I had a really hard time with it. If if I had done like two minutes of research on this <laughs> instead of just being like, yeah, whatever you guys say is fine, maybe we would have picked a different one. I mean, I'm glad we read this one, but sorry yeah. about that, Christine. <laughs> no, it's fine. I I loved it, and it was like a it was actually a very like almost therapeutic crying because it was just you know my mom passed away from cancer, and so it was kind of like, and we used to read Nora Roberts books, you know, together. So it was kind of like just remembering that and. Then, and like Renata said, in a very sort of sweet way where I didn't feel emotionally devastated, but I did cry about it. So just warning. It was, it was very touching. It was very emotional. Um, and it's like, it's emotional for the reader and for Booth and then also for Mags. And so after they lived in Chicago and after um, Dana 
The yeah. mom's name is Dana? Yeah. Dana, the mom, passes away. Mags and Booth both decide that they don't want to. They're going to sell the house. They don't want to live in Chicago anymore. And they're going to go on the road. And Mags is very nomadic. She's like, yeah, like I'm going to go out west. I'm going to go to Vegas. I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to start working as a phone psychic so I can do it from wherever with a cell phone. And Booth like likes the idea of college because he likes learning. But he's not sure he's ready to settle down yet. So he decides he's going to take from like now until the fall semester, at least just like driving around and taking in the country and like visiting places. And then in the end, maybe like decide where he wants to go to college, if he wants to go to college, if he wants to go to college legitimately, or if he wants to go to to just like audit classes sneakily. Uh, by forging paperwork (laughs) and he drives various places and like picks up some what he calls night work along the way he visits uh chapel hill north carolina where university of north carolina is and he decides he loves it he falls in love immediately and decides that if he settles down for college he might settle here And then from there, he ends up in uh, New Orleans, which he really falls in love with. Mm -hmm. And he ends up settling in there for a little while. Yeah. And he, okay, also one important character in this book is Doritos the Chip. That's Booth's favorite snack, and like anytime he stops for gas, he gets Doritos. And I'm like, Nora, is this book sponsored content for Doritos? Because it's working, and I want some Doritos. See, that's wild that you picked up on the Doritos. Because for me, it was Coke. It's both. He always wants Doritos and Coke. Yeah, yeah. Like he doesn't drink coffee, but he drinks a Coke in the morning, and like that comes up constantly. Constantly, people are offering this man coffee, and he's like, "No, but I'll take a Coke if you have one." Like brand name coke not even just in the way that like some people are like use coke interchangeably for all soda he very specifically wants a coca-cola i mean yeah. fair i i would also take a coke instead of a coffee yeah he he does say coke more often but i like doritos more than i like coke so i i clocked onto that more <laughs> he does he's a lot of doritos he does yes uh and also nachos just like a, just this man loves cheese triangles and so do i <laughs> so if you're gonna read this book make sure you have some close by because you're probably gonna get the munchies yeah i still i keep meaning to like get some and i haven't yet i'm still like um my craving is still unfulfilled she doesn't tell us what flavor doritos though she never says like cool ranch or nacho flavored so like what do we think booth's dorito flavor is yeah i mean i i feel like he's like a classic cheese guy personally Although I don't, because like Cool Ranch is the coolest flavor, obviously, and he is also pretty cool. But I feel like he's like a, he, I feel like he's like a purist, like a classic cheese man. See, I in my head had him like holding that blue bag with the red Coke bottle. Ooh. <laughs> Maybe he's a man of all Doritos. Maybe it doesn't matter. Maybe he he likes to sample. Maybe. No, he is so particular. He certainly has a favorite flavor. I, like, as as the only person in the world who doesn't like Cool Ranch Doritos, like, I do feel like 
like that that is what felt true to me okay um and not like me projecting like ah this is my favorite flavor so of course he eats them but like i'm like you you're the type of person who would eat cool ranch doritos to be clear everyone but me is the type of person who would eat cool ranch doritos but if you want to be a cool charming thief you definitely eat cool ranch doritos yeah i'm glad we had this talk yeah. Oh my god. It is when we're recording is ten thirty in the morning and I want Doritos so bad. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm sorry I brought it up, but I'm not sorry because this is really important character work we're doing. But like yeah. oh <laughs> Doritos. Okay. It, so I want to talk about his incredibly elaborate college scheme. Like, why wouldn't he just like? I understand he like wants to have an alias or whatever. Why wouldn't he just enroll in college like a normal person? He like hacks his way into the system so that he seems like a student, but the, and he's like going to classes and doing the work. Like, what? Well, if I, you, why? If you- if you think about it, Renata, registering and getting into college is actually probably a whole shit show at this point. So it's probably easier for him to just hack in and, and put in a fake name rather than getting all the reference and all his credit and all his transcripts and things. He could just hack the school and get the transcripts. Yeah, but it it feels like, like, honestly, it feels like less paperwork to just less crime work to just hack in and put your name in than to like forge transcripts, forge recommendation letters, forge, you know, like set up people who if they like call to check things can answer the phone and do whatever, like, and then make sure all of that is under the fake name that you want to use and then make a you know, get a social security card for that person, get this for that person, get that when you can just like hack in and put yourself on the roster. It's wild. It's a wild choice though. Yeah. Okay. And now, um, he, okay. So yeah, he has, his, okay. Well, in, in New Orleans, in New Orleans. I, I jumped to college cause I want to talk about the college stuff cause it's yeah. fucking wild. But there but are New important, Orleans is important Yeah. Yeah. In New Orleans, he meets a whole bunch of people who become very important to him. They become like a new family. Um, He meets uh, this guy, Jacques, who helps him with some forgery type stuff and introduces him to his cousin, Dauphine, who becomes like a really good friend with benefits to him. She teaches him French and he cooks for her. Um, She is also a psych. She works as a psychic also. Um, like his his aunt Mags, and actually, when he introduces Mags to her, they become like BFFs immediately. And he he's like he leaves the house. He's like, I'm gonna let you guys stay here because you're talking about like girly stuff and sex, and I'm gonna just take a walk because this is I am no longer needed. It is clear. Um, and he also meets Sebastian, who is a friend of Jacques, who is a fellow criminal. Um who first contacts him because he has broken his foot tripping over his very ugly dog and mm-hmm. he was supposed to do a crime for this like very powerful rich man and he can no longer do it because of his foot's in a cast so he like subcontracts his crime out to uh booth and Booth is like, oh, I don't know, like, why would I want to do this? But he gets, like, good vibes from Sebastian. And, like, he's very well known and liked by, like, Jacques and Dauphine and all of his other, you know, friends in New Orleans. So he's like, okay, 
this this seems like a good crime friend to have and but the person who he does the crime for this guy laporte uh less good vibes he seems like a rich person who only wants things to have them and he doesn't actually like care about them the way that booth has come to care about the things he steals he's very mean and intimidating but also you know the the type of guy that you feel like you can't say no to because he will then beat the shit out of you and everyone you love yeah and so what he wants booth to steal is this like rare painting that this other rich guy has in his private vault and he's like and booth because booth is a pure heart and an artistic soul he's like wow this painting is amazing i love just like looking at it and like the quality of the light in the painting is incredible and it's like fucked up the rich guy a just kept it in his vault and now laporte rich guy b is going to do the same thing and like this art belongs in a museum (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah booth prefers to steal gems because they're just like they're just like rocks um versus like priceless works of art that he thinks should be appreciated yes um, but he does do the job and then becomes like really close with Sebastian. And while they don't like work together, they kind of like they both do their own work and it's fine. Um, but after he does the Laporte job, Laporte is like, I want you to take all the money and not give any to Sebastian and like work for me more frequently. And he's like, nah. And Laporte's like, no one says no to me. And Booth's like, nah, and just leaves. Well, I just did. I just yeah. did. <laughs> Um, but he, he has fun in New Orleans. He has like a good time with his New Orleans friends. He learns how to cook and speak like a hundred languages. Mm-hmm. And he audits some classes at Tulane and then decides it's time to move on and goes to Texas and does some college at Texas and then decides it's time to settle down for a while. So he heads back to UNC Chapel Hill, where he felt so at home the first time he visited and makes up a new alias his first so his name is harrison booth and then like his name in new orleans is silas harrison and then his name at unc is booth something i don't remember what i i need to dip back to new orleans real quick because the a key thing about sebastian is that he writes he he talks with like a very thick like louisiana accent like a cajun accent that's like written out in dialect in the book in a way that like could be unbearable but i love it and what i want what i'm pinning to the front of my vision board is that i want nora roberts to write like a a marvel comics gambit like six issue limited run series just like she's this is all the pieces of gambit she can do it she can do it and I want it. Do you think that maybe Sebastian is her gambit sort of like run up? She's like just trying to put it out there herself to be like, look, Marvel, look, I can do it. And look, like they would be fools not to let her do it. And like she she's made very specific superhero references in other books. Like she has sons like she knows this stuff. She could do it. Oh, man, this could revive the Marvel Universe if we think about it. Like single handed. Oh, yeah. The other thing that I really wanted was that uh, that Channing Tatum Gambit movie that never got made. What if she wrote this script for it? Yeah. You got a lot of stuff on your vision board is real heavy this year. (laughs) Oh, she could do it. 
She when we're at Boonesboro, we'll like slide a little note at the end. <laughs> be like, just, just, you just think about it. Anyway, okay. That's, we can now leave Sebastian behind for now, although he will remain heavy in my mind and my heart. And we can return to North Carolina. Yes. Um. So he does, he gets, he rents a little house and he signs up for classes and he's like yeah like i'm gonna do some occasional night work here but like i'm gonna focus on my studies and i'm not gonna get like i'm gonna get sort of involved with people so that i'm not a loner who sticks out but i'm not gonna get super involved and you know just do a year or so of classes here maybe more maybe grad school and then move on to somewhere else. But then, like, literally the first day of classes, he meets the most beautiful girl he's ever seen in his entire life, who completely, he can't stop thinking about her. He's obsessed with her. He doesn't even know her. And he's like, ah, fuck. And he I does will literally say, say ah, fuck. <laughs> yeah. I will say also, as much as we love Nora and she can do almost no wrong, I will ding her slightly. Something happened where, like, I think she's so great at character work and dialogue for children and for adults. But these college students are, like, so weird the way that they talk. And I just want to, like, I want to read a couple quotes that boggled me. So, um... Aside from Miranda, who's the beautiful woman who he won't talk to, who is the daughter of the professor. And I'm like, would you take your father's classes? I don't know, but she does. Anyway, he makes friends with these a couple like uh, theater geeks who are like, you should join the Shakespeare Club, bro. And uh, so the, one of them says, good going, bro. And then Booth's thought is the way he said bro pegged him as a geek. Which, like, I don't think bro is necessarily geeky. And then later, like, slightly later, he said yo, which had Booth suppressing a grin. Total geek. Like, bro and yo are not, like, geeky. And then later on, this guy says, no way, bro. You gotta go to Shakespeare Club. Uh, You gotta go. You're getting it all. Insight, camaraderie, and prime eats. The prof always has prime eats. What? This is like an 18, 19 year old college boy who is like, hell yeah, the prof has prime eats. What are we doing? I mean, I will say (laughs) in like the in-depth book, she also uses this sort of like primo eat or primo cow. And I'm like, (laughs) what is this obsession with? prime and primo in front of food for young uh, people i do i do also like as much as i'm like this is stupid i'm also like i want to start calling food prime eats i'm gonna go get some doritos those are prime eats <laughs> my friend <laughs> maybe i mean maybe we just have to admit that we're older and out of touch with the new lingo maybe this I, is how, how the college I, folks talk I, absolutely I, not bro <laughs> <laughs> Yo, good prime, prime point. <laughs> um, yeah, but he does. He makes some friends. He at first refuses. He makes some some geek friends. He makes uh, some prime geek friends. 
And they are. Their, their names are RJ and Zed, which Zed is also a letter, just British. <laughs> Zed's dead, baby. <laughs> so they, they he, he makes friends with these people, and they're all part of this Shakespeare club, which is run by um, his Shakespeare professor, who is the father of, as, as Renata said, the girl who he immediately falls in love with upon seeing. And once a semester or once a month or something, the club is held at his house and he feeds them, which is where the primates come in. So he decides that he's going to go. And in his mind, he decides that the beautiful girl who he's in love with must be like a total bitch and terrible and awful because that is the only way he can try and talk himself out of immediately falling in love with her. But then, of course, he meets her in person and they immediately like click and she's like wonderful. And he sees her like at the Shakespeare Club hanging out with this jockey guy and is like, oh, well, they're clearly together. So I can just forget about her. And then literally the next day she asks uh, Booth out for coffee and he's like, well, what about the jockey guy? No, wait, and- I want to read. Wait, I pulled the dialogue. I want to read the exact dialogue. And she's like, he's like, what about the jockey guy? And he, she says, oh, he has, he has a boyfriend. And then here's the exact dialogue. He's not my token gay friend, just my friend. Any problem with that? No, geez, no. Good. I draw a hard line at bigotry in any and all forms. Like, okay, Miranda. <laughs> Just like Booth never said the phrase token gay friend. Like she immediately was like, he's not my token gay friend. Like, okay. Defensive. Uh, so he is agrees to like have her over so that he could cook for her. And he cooks the most casual pasta for Fally. <laughs> Totally casual. Just straight up friend pasta. And yet it is and yet it is prime piece. Uh, by the way he said by the way at the at the shakespeare club the main thing that happens is that he does talk to miranda and is like damn she's great but also at the party uh the friend is like quote prime eats did i lie like he is tripling down on prime eats and also the prime eats seem to just be like pizza which like if i am in the greater new york area I am very excited about pizza, but also it is, like, the most basic possible food for college students. Yeah, but pizza- you, forgot, you forgot Booth loves cheese triangles. It's <laughs> true. I did forget that Booth loves cheese triangles. Oh, it's all coming together. Nora's come from so many angles. It's all geometric. <laughs> Like, I, as a college student, if someone was like, oh, he has the best food, I'm like, oh, great. Like, food I can't normally afford. I'm into this. And then it's just pizza. (laughs) I'm like, wait, even I can afford this. Well, maybe in North Carolina, pizza is super expensive and sucks. uh, (laughs) I don't know. Also, Booth can afford any food because he's a rich thief. (laughs) No, he only steals what he needs. He doesn't. Right? Remember, he's not greedy, so he doesn't... He's, he's not greedy, but he could afford a pizza. Yeah. And it, although, in his defense, it is it is not him who's like, oh, yeah, pizza's prime eats. It's his friends. True. Who theoretically don't have a safe in their basement filled with thousands of dollars worth of liquidated jewels. 
Oh, let me tell you what I learned about Jules. Oh, yes. <laughs> so while I've Nicole went. and uh, not Nicole, sorry, I'm just used to saying Nicole and Christine as a unit. While Renata and Christine were talking about uh, what dramatic reading they were going to do, uh, I am podcasting from my roommate's office and they have a pile of books uh, that they use for making collages next to the desk. And there was a gem guide on top. So I was flipping through it and I was like, ooh, gems, that's relevant. And I discovered that sapphires are, if they're blue, like traditional sapphire color, they're called sapphires. But there are sapphires that are other colors. And those sapphires are called fancy sapphires. Hell yeah. That is actually the name for any sapphire that is any color that's not blue. Could we call them prime sapphire? <laughs> <laughs> I think I should write a letter to the gem people and suggest that. Excellent. So that is a fact that I learned about gems while we were, I could go steal some now probably. Oh, the more absolutely. you know. The more you know. <laughs> I also learned that the rarest sapphire is the black star sapphire. Ooh. Has it been stolen? Does anybody know? Not yet. Are we sure? <laughs> I think it's time for us to plan a heist. Yeah, we have all the tools now. <laughs> we just need the primates. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I said I'm getting Doritos after this. <laughs> what more do we need? I'll pick you up a Coke. <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. Okay, okay, we have to move on though because we're still in the boy. We have to get to <laughs> the thief. Um, so uh, he has dinner with um Miranda, and it goes really well. And they decide they're going to go on another date, and they do. And it's like the best day of his life. Like they see a movie, and then she comes over, and he cooks for her again, and they have <clears> sex, and they like she spends the night, and they spend all day in bed, and they are just like having like the greatest time. And he's like, "I love this girl. Like I want her to move in. Like should I give up my night work for her? Like I don't like this is fantastic." And then like literally later that day, Laporte shows up and is like, "Hey, I need you to do crime for me." And by the way, if you don't do crime for me, I will murder your aunt. What a prime jerk. (laughs) Yeah. And not only that, he's like, and you should call her because like, she's just had a break in. And so like, um, he, he has already preemptively broken it, had some, one of his goons break into his aunt's home and like break up some stuff. And so that he's like, oh shit, like he, he is not bluffing he knows where my aunt is and he will kill her because this man is a bad man he's not like bad. me booth a good man he doesn't do good noble crime he does bad crime yeah he's a dick so, yeah uh so he's like oh shit i have to i cannot be connected to anyone right now so he like leaves college immediately that day he texts all of his friends and Miranda and is like, oh, like there was an emergency with my aunt. I have to leave right now. I might not be in touch for a little while. And he drives straight up to do the job that Laporte wants him to do. And Miranda tries to call him. And when he she does, he makes himself be like an asshole to her and like act like, oh, well, like, you know, you were just some girl I fucked. Like, it's not a big deal. Like, don't get getting all romantic about it just because we had sex once. And like breaks her heart and his own heart uh, for her own good. 
and then drops off the the thing that he stole to Laporte, goes to New Orleans, gives some burner phones to Sebastian and one for Mags, and then fucks off to Europe with like little to no contact with anyone he knows for their own good. And spends like the next decade in Europe just going around stealing things occasionally and, you know, living the high life. And occasionally will like talk to Mags and see Mags, but like otherwise tries to avoid everyone he used to know for their own good. And after he realizes that he's like basically lost Laporte, um, because he leaves from Europe and goes to South America and like he hears word that Laporte still thinks he's in Europe. So he's like, okay, I've lost his trail. He decides he's going to take a sabbatical from stealing and settle down on the East Coast for a little while to teach. Um, so he can like see his friends and family again and chill out for a little bit and not be on the run. So he does take on the persona of Booth. What last name does he use? No, it's first name. Um, Sebastian, Sebastian Booth. Booth. Yeah, Sebastian Booth. Uh, and gets a job teaching at a little town in Virginia where he is the English teacher and like the theater teacher. And he can like go to New Orleans occasionally and see Sebastian and Mags who have since fallen in love and Mags moved to New Orleans and, you know, live his like little life. And then like occasionally during school breaks, do some, do some thieving for fun to keep himself from getting rusty. And again, and he, his choices, I don't know, man. But anyway, he, he's so, um, he starts a Shakespeare club. He's like such a nerd. He's such a nerd. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I love that he goes to college for no credits and then is decides I'm going to be a, now pretend to be a teacher. A (laughs) high school teacher. And like much love, much respect to high school teachers, but it's a lot of work. Um, you have to yeah. get up early. Yeah, I don't want to do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and he like the kids love him. People in town love him, and he does this for a almost full year. He does it, or maybe a year More and a half. Than. Yeah, he's two been years there like at a least. couple years. Yeah. yeah. And then there's kind uh, of like a he, she kind of breezes through a couple years quickly just by being like, and then the next year for the school musical, they did this. And then the next year it was Bye Bye Birdie. And like she kind of there's a couple years that we don't really like see in detail. But. Yeah. But so like the like his second or third year there, it's around Christmas time and he's at a party and he's talking to his real estate agent who like got him like the beautiful house that he lives in. Also, side note. I laughed so hard the first time he breaks into a house and he's like, and the crown molding did this and it was this and like this kind of wainscoting. And I was like, yeah, it's a Nora Roberts book. <laughs> yeah. Nora. yeah, yeah, yeah. We established that he appreciates fine things like crown molding and wainscoting. <laughs> yeah. There's a whole bit where he meets Miranda and they go to the Shakespeare club at like her family home. And he's like, oh, like, I was just admiring, like, how, like, you use, like, the original wood finish and, like, all of this. It's so funny. 
And so Nora, and I loved every second of it. Um, but yeah, he, so he's, he's chatting with his real estate agent and she's like, oh my God, like a celebrity just moved in like right near you. And he's like, oh, like what kind of celebrity? And she's like, oh, well, not like a celebrity celebrity, but like you're a kind of celebrity. And he's like, what does that mean? And she's like a writer. And of course we have already learned that Miranda had wanted to be a writer and wanted to write thrillers. And we learn before he settles down in Virginia that she has successfully made herself a career as an author. And that in her first book, there is a character based on him who's brutally murdered. (laughs) Which is a detail I loved. Yes. Which, you know, as a writer, that's your prerogative is to murder people that possibly did you wrong. Yeah. Yes. Also her, her debut title is called publish or perish, which is good. Yes. Um, and it turns out, of course, that the writer who has just moved in is Miranda, because her godmother has just gotten divorced, and she wants to come spend some time with her while working on her next book. And Miranda is very like, they both are very cordial to each other at the party and pretend they don't know each other. Uh, But Miranda does show up at his house, like literally right after the party to confront him about like, A, why are you under a different name than the name I knew you? B, like, why did you, everyone here thinks that you're so nice and cool and chill, but it turns out you're like, that does not jive with the you that I remember abandoning me when we were 19 and essentially like makes him tell her everything or else she will tell the police that their high school English teacher is not what he seems. Also, she punches him in the stomach, which is great. Yes. Yes. And she does hit him. Um, Which like sometimes you just sometimes, sometimes (laughs) in fictional settings, people just need to be hit Uh, in his stomach. It was his, you know, it's not, not the money maker. Yeah, and she's a weak little woman. How much damage could she do? So he tells her the whole story and she like doesn't necessarily believe it, but also parts of it sound like too detailed and exact to not be true. So she's like, all right, I here's the deal. If you if you don't leave tonight, if when I come over tomorrow you're still here, I will not immediately turn you into the cops. And I'm going to do some digging around town to see if I believe you. And he's like, yeah, okay. And everyone she talks to is like, oh, yeah, Sebastian Booth is like the nicest, coolest, best English teacher ever. And he's just like the nicest guy and everyone loves him. And he is like fantastic and like charitable and wonderful and like nurses, baby ducks back to health after oil spills (laughs) and like... (laughs) Everyone has nothing but wonderful things to say. And she decides that she is going to um, make a deal with him where she won't turn him in if he tells her about his life of crime so that she can use it for a book. Interjection. Do we think that Nora Roberts has a crime friend? God, I hope so. God, I hope Nora Roberts is the crime friend. Oh, my God. (laughs) Well, c- yeah, because first, first she was like interviewing someone to be like, "Can you help me write my crime book?" And then she was like, "Damn, this sounds easy." Yeah, like I could do this so much. Better. Like I just, yes, now, now that is one hundred percent headcanon for me that Nora Roberts one time in her life did night work. <laughs> I love it. But can we also just note 
that I like Miranda, I like Booth, and I like the relationship, but she's straight up blackmailing him here. Oh, yes. While still being like, ooh, you're a thief and you do illegal things while I'm blackmailing you. (laughs) Yeah, and she keeps being like, you have squishy morals. And he is like, we've seen that he is just like the most perfect boy who's like, I only do crimes because I appreciate artwork and because I was forced to do it or they would kill my beloved aunt who has gay friends and gay enemies <laughs> and <laughs> and also these rich people don't need all of this money like yeah and he never hurts anybody he never, never carries a gun he never does violence yeah he's like offended when she's like so do you have guns in your house and he's like no why would i have weapons in my house and she's like because you do crime and he's like i do noble crime miranda (laughs) Mm -hmm. i do prime crime (laughs) (laughs) he does (laughs) renaming this episode prime crime (laughs) writing that down so we can make some merch that says that <laughs> Ooh, what if it looks like the Amazon Prime logo, but it just says crime? Can you get would they sue? Is that a crime? I'm much much to ponder. <laughs> anyway, yeah this this is definitely like a I, we were talking about this via Google Doc where I was like Booth is just like a much like better character than Miranda and. Christine was like, yeah, but there's so many books where, like, you know, an, an awesome woman has this, like, little garbage man love interest, and this is a good reversal. And I'm like, you know what? And not, not that Miranda's garbage. She's just, like, not really bringing a lot to the table, like, except that she's hot. Yeah. Um, and I think part of that is just um, as the the natural result of this focusing so much on Booth and his backstory is that she shows up again, I think, like, two-thirds of the way into the book. Yeah. And like she's in another like small sliver when she's 19. So like so much of the book is about him that there's not a lot of room for her to be developed. Yeah. But I'm not mad about it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, but if, maybe if she was doing prime crime, I'd be a little more interested. But. Yeah. Uh, well, so, well, and by the end of it, she does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so she, they like settle into like a sort of relationship because as at first she's just like, oh yeah, I'm just coming by to like meet with you to learn about crime for my book, but like realizes very quickly she still has feelings and he of course never lost his feelings. So before long they do end up in a relationship again. Um, and not long after that, Sebastian shows up again and, he realized that he realizes the reason Sebastian figured out where he was, although Sebastian was lying to him and acting like he always knew where he was. Well, not Sebastian Laporte. Laporte. I'm so sorry. Yes. Laporte. Sebastian did always know where he was. Cause he's like his father figure. Laporte shows up and uh, is like, Oh, I knew where you were the whole time. But then like when he's listing the places where he was, he doesn't list anywhere in South America or these other places that he went. And he's like, Oh, he didn't know where I was. He figured it out because um Miranda did a signing at the local bookstore and one of the booksellers who was interviewed talked about the English teacher Sebastian Booth who has high schoolers do in-store recommendations and that was how he found him um so he decides his whole life he has been preparing to take Sebastian down 
And he yeah. decides that's what he's going to do. So he convinces Sebastian that Miranda is just like a fling. Like he doesn't care about her. Why would he care about her? Uh, Laporte. He convinces Laporte. Laporte. Sorry. He convinces Laporte that Miranda's just a fling and that he'll do this job and like negotiates more money out of Laporte. And, like, kind of throws Laporte off. Like, he's not expecting, like, this level. Because no one talks back to him. No one, like, gives him shit. And Booth is just giving him shit. And he's, like, very clearly, like, unmoored by it. Um, So he immediately, Booth, after Laporte leaves, immediately goes over to Miranda's and is like, listen, this is what just happened. Laporte showed up at my house. I told him that I didn't care about you. Um, And that I agreed to do this job for him. But what I'm going to do instead of this job is use it to like frame him and get him sent to jail once and for all. And she's like, okay. <laughs> I'm going to help you do this. <laughs> yeah. Um. So the, the last like quarter of the book is just this like cool, elaborate heist where uh, Booth figures out like how to do the job like this nearly impossible mythical job that Laporte has engaged him to do while also setting up his own framework job to frame someone else for doing this crime so that that person and Laporte will both go to jail and no one will suspect Sebastian Booth the English teacher from middle of nowhere Virginia and it is like he brings all of the old characters come back into it. Like he brings Sebastian and Mags in and Dauphine and her new husband and uh, all of these like other crime characters who we've met. And it's, it's a real Ocean's Eleven. Yeah. Um, by the way, we've, we've entered part three of the book, The Red Goddess. And The Red Goddess is is not Miranda, but also is Miranda. But also mainly the red goddess is this rare red diamond that is the specific thing to steal. Yes. Just a giant uncut red diamond. So it's actually really apparently ugly to look at. Yeah. But apparently prime diamond. Prime yeah. dime. So they they do like their Laporte sends people to like spy on Booth. And he manages to like get them get them recalled because he's like he calls up he sees them like very early and figures it out very early, but then like pretends that he doesn't figure it out till later after he's had time to like case them and like calls Laporte and is like, I can't believe you sent like people, they like they weren't even good at trying to break into my house, like you should give me another million dollars. And Laporte <laughs> is like, uh sorry, sorry, yeah, okay, here's another million dollars. <laughs> yeah and they so they do like these elaborate um and so Miranda gets to see how Booth works up close and personal because he's like ah like I'm gonna need you to pretend to be my assistant when I pretend to be this like famous Italian interior designer and I'm gonna need you to pretend to be a bodyguard when I pretend to be Laporte and like does all these like disguises and like breaking in and out of places and yeah it's very it's very heisty it's very leverage and nora again gets to do her interior design work when yes when booth pretends to be this french interior designer and like goes through this mansion and talks about all the ways he's going to update it 
Yes. And and by the way, even as he's doing this and it's part of a crime, he's still being a good guy because he really is helping this like woman update the bedroom to be like what she wants it to be. And like <laughs> actually gonna do the work, like have a contractor yeah. than done. Yeah. Um also I love that he's like, Well, because I'm a high school uh drama teacher, of course I have all these like perfect disguises. <laughs> Well, I feel like he has the perfect disguises because of his crime, but that's the excuse he has ready if anyone ever searches his house. Like, why do you have so many costumes in your closet? It's like, well, I'm a high school drama teacher. I, yeah, I guess this is where right. I store all the prime costumes. <laughs> um, yeah, but so they, they do the double heist. He steals the diamond and replaces it with a, a fake and then he pretends to be Laporte and he contracts this other thief to steal the fake. And then they call the cops on the the fake heist. And then that guy's like, oh, Laporte hired me. And then meanwhile, he leaves the real diamond. He breaks into Laporte's house, leaves the real diamond there, and then leaves a bunch of files because Miranda, who has caught on to the criming ways, had Sebastian look into her and Laporte's like travel history and discovered that they were in the same city in the same area of the city for like four days at one point and like creates this whole fake backstory where uh, Laporte came on to her and she rejected him and he was like really weird about it and he's been stalking her ever since so that's why he would try to blame Booth for anything that happened mm-hmm mm-hmm um, so Booth like plants all this evidence of that there and Laporte goes to jail and the other criminal goes to jail and uh, they get married. Not the criminals. Yes, the criminals. <laughs> Laporte and the criminal, they both get married. It's a beautiful <laughs> wedding. It's a prime wedding. <laughs> very tasteful yes Miranda and Booth get married and Miranda like immediately after when Booth gets home and he's like yeah all the crime is done right like everyone's going to jail she's like great we're gonna get married we're gonna have at least two kids I'm open to negotiation for more than two but I want to have at least two we're gonna live in your house but we're gonna build a we're gonna renovate it and like add an addition for our kids and we're gonna do this and we're gonna do that and you're not gonna it's okay if you keep stealing but like i don't want to know about it and he's like no i've given up my night work for you a thing that i love more than crime prime love prime Mm. love and then the very little you know stinger is they they a year later they go visit a museum and there's the red goddess on display where she belongs yeah this book slapped (laughs) (laughs) it really did yeah it was good stuff you know it was prime it was was prime prime work nora prime work (sighs) all right well oh my god okay there's one thing we didn't talk about that we should talk about which is if you are a, a longtime listener, perhaps you listened to our uh, our Boonesboro bonus episode where we talked about getting tarot card readings done oh, in Boonesboro, okay. which clearly like 
this book is just like all of Nora's. Well, every Nora book is like all of her special interests just like sprinkled heavily over it. But this one had a lot of the tarot stuff. And um, if you'll recall, in my um, tarot card reading that I received in Boonesboro, uh, the like the first card was the tower reversed. And Kate and Christine and Nicole were all like, gasp. And I was like, I don't know what that means. What is this? And they were just like, gasp. And the tarot card reader was like, gasp. And I was like, what is it? (laughs) And then they were like, your life is going to explode. And I was like, oh, no. Uh, By the way, it hasn't. Um, (laughs) Tarot card fake. But anyway. um, I mean, you did have pneumonia, pneumonia, so. Shit. And I had Nimona on Netflix. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, what, when one of those suggested dramatic readings I had that we didn't do is when Booth gets a tarot card reading and he gets the tower. And I was like, uh, his, his is not reverse. His is regular tower. But still, I was like, same. We're the same. You and I. <laughs> Uh, but we're not doing that. But here's what we are going to do for dramatic readings is um, I'm going to do one from early on, like the first little job that Booth does for Sebastian on behalf of Laporte. And so he he has to like, oh, one thing, by the way, as as we all know, Nora loves dogs. She has a real pro dog agenda. Sebastian Booth are our main character can't have a dog throughout the book because of his night work. But also whenever he's researching a house, he's always pointing out like, Oh, a a dog is better than any high tech security. Like, Oh, a dog, like you just can't beat a dog. Um, But this house that he's breaking into doesn't have a dog, but it does have a cat. Okay. With the blueprints in his head, he moved out of the room, took a short jog to the right, and across the massive entranceway with its graceful central staircase. Another jog, this time left, moving quick and quiet, past another parlor, the billiard room, into the locked door of the office. As he got out his picks, something swished against his legs and nearly shot him out of his chucks. The orange tabby said, meow. (laughs) Though it had a sweet face, Silas didn't touch it. Silas is the name Booth is using at this time. He gave himself 10 seconds to settle, then dealt with the lock. The cat slipped in before he could stop it and pranced over to leap up and perch on the wide arm of a port wine leather sofa. If he put it out, it might meow more, scratch the door, or do something else to wake someone up. Silas closed the door and faced the vault. It looked more impressive in person. Three feet wide, eight feet tall, gunmetal gray. He knew from the schematics it was nearly 30 years old. He approached it, laid one gloved hand on its cool metal surface. Then, clicking on his stopwatch, got to work. Behind him, the cat watched and purred. He'd gauged the distance to the window, his single escape route if someone decided to come in. Then he blocked everything out. He worked meticulously, as he had on his very first, and in retrospect, incredibly simple, safe job. As each tumbler fell, he felt a quiet ping of satisfaction. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit. He Spoiler, he gets into the safe. He gets the thing. He stepped out, started to close the vault door, and saw that the cat was no longer perched on the couch. Fuck. He started to search, then heard the purr. 
The cat had made himself at home in the master's chair in his private museum. Silas tucked the painting under one arm, the cat under the other. He closed the vault, spun the lock, then set it back on the number where he'd found it. He set the cat down outside the office, closed the door before it could slither back in. Relocked it. It meowed after him a little forlornly when he retraced his steps. That's all. Just just doing, doing some crime with a little cat friend. You love to see it. Cats love crime. They do. Cats do love crime. Famously, there are cats that have broken every human law. <laughs> All right. I am doing the next dramatic reading, and it is uh, the first night that he cooks, that uh, Booth cooks for uh, Miranda. And uh, it's about pasta and other things. It wasn't as if he'd never cooked for a girl, woman, before. Dauphine might have been the first outside of family, but she hadn't been the last. Though he'd kept that particular move mostly in reserve for when both parties knew, or certainly assumed, the evening would end in bed. That wouldn't happen here. He'd firmly decided that one. Besides, the sequel to First Date. If it really was an actual date, he had to admit that Miranda kept him continually off balance. Maybe they were just pals platonicville that would be best all around her father was one of his professors for god's sake talk about sticky still he wanted to impress her with the meal nothing fancy though he thought as he rejected half a dozen menu fancy was just bragging but nice something nice he decided finally on pesto pasta with grilled chicken he'd use farfalli so nobody had to wind or slurp plus farfalli looked cheerful casual Pasta was casual. It was all casual. He still had his Saturday cleaning, so he hit it early and hit it hard while the dough for the Italian bread rose. He did all his usual Saturday chores, baked the bread, then went shopping for what he needed for dinner. Then he made himself sit down and work on a paper for his own French class. Shifting from that, he went downstairs, set a timer, and worked on improving his personal best on combination locks. It helped keeping his hands busy, his mind focused, and still, by the time he took a shower, started dinner prep, and a soft light rain began to fall, he admitted he was a wreck. He should have done some yoga. Mag swore by it, and whenever he tried it, it zenned him out. Plus, it kept the body limber, and someone with his career choice needed to stay limber. Too late now, he thought, as he wondered if he should light some candles, put some music on, or if that was just too much. He decided the candles worked because the rain made it gloomy. Just cheering it up like the Farfalli. I don't understand how a young man cannot understand that pasta is a declaration of love. Like any pasta. <laughs> if you make pasta, you are telling the person who is eating pasta that you love them unconditionally. Even Farfalli, the most platonic of pasta, apparently. There is no platonic pasta. There is only passion. Like, I do feel like if you wanted to go for, like, ah, uh, this is this is just pal's pasta, it's elbows. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, yeah. I was going to say what's the most romantic pasta, but it's obviously, like, linguine, so you can do a um, Lady and the Tramp kiss, which is the most romantic way to eat a pasta. Is it? Yes. See, I wouldn't go linguine for Lady and the Tramp kiss. I would go spaghetti. Because the spaghetti's round on all sides and Linguini's flat. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, that's fair. Uh, confession, I don't know all the pasta types. That's 
Um, what about like novelty, um, like bachelor party dick shaped pasta? Where <laughs> that, does that fall? I feel like would send a weird message yeah. to her because it it would feel like to her, I think, him being like, let's have sex. And depending on how she felt about it, so it might be it could be a boon for him because she might be like, I can't believe a man would serve me dick pasta. <laughs> but it could also her be like, yeah, like, I'll suck your dick. And then it's the opposite of what he wants. Except he secretly does want that. Yeah. 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 Who knew all the messages that pasta could send? <laughs> yeah. Um, and I, I would also say, what about the Annie's children's puppies and kitties mac and cheese? But obviously Booth would never. Would never start, use packaged pasta. Yeah. yeah. I'm glad, well, I'm glad we glad we cleared all this up. Yeah. Um, there's one more. There's one more dramatic <laughs> reading. Uh, so for my dramatic reading, just a short little glimpse into a little bit into Booth's, and I guess all men's just inability to understand how much closet space women require, which is mm-hmm. I feel like a something Nora likes to bring up often. So this is more towards the end of the book when Miranda is moving in with Booth uh, so that they can crime together. He opened a drawer, took out T-shirts, a lot of precisely folded T-shirts, transferred them to another drawer. Is that enough? Hardly, she noted, but nodded. For the moment. He went to the closet, shifted a few things, hesitated, then shifted a few more. There's already plenty of room in here. Rods and hangers, shelves. And I'm only using two drawers in the bathroom vanity. Got six. Great. I'll use the other four. If he wondered what she could possibly need with four, he didn't ask. Do you need any help? No. Great. Good. I'm going to throw some food together. I haven't had dinner. Do you want anything? I haven't had dinner either. You were making popcorn. For dinner. Rather than gape, he just closed his eyes a moment. I can't even address that. I'm going to pretend you never said that. I'll be downstairs. <laughs> just, I, sometimes you just want an entire bag of microwave popcorn for dinner and that shouldn't be weird. No. Right? It's it's, yeah. it's light, it's fluffy, it's buttery, it's salty. It's a whole grain. Yeah, it's a complete meal. Sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, but I will say I I'm enough of a popcorn aficionado that I always cook at stovetop. I don't do microwave, but I oh. I support my microwave peers. You have you have prime popcorn is what you're saying. I have prime popcorn, <laughs> and then I put nutritional yeast on it, so that really does make it a whole meal. It's nutritional. It's right there in the in the in the name. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, this book is good. It is good. Once again, I love Nora's reach into our psyche and just pulling out just all these facts. <laughs> all right, let's move on to reader's advisory and suggest some books to read instead of or in addition to night work. And again, this book slaps, so feel free to read it. Yeah, strong recommend on this one. This might be my new favorite, Nora. I was going to say that, too. I think it's really neck and neck with Black Hills for me. So, yeah, I I really like The Collector. And this is up there with that, I think. 
But I have mentioned several times comparisons to Leverage. And if you haven't watched Leverage, I feel like this is a good excuse to watch it if you like hearing about this. Um, it is a very fun and sometimes surprisingly emotional show about a group of thieves who get together and decide that they are going to steal from corporations and rich people who rip off people who don't deserve it and get back um you know what they can for the people that have been ripped off and they do lots of crimes and heists and they're fun and good characters and one of them's even a cook so there you go um i i if you also want to watch something else maybe you don't want to commit to a whole series you just want like one made for tv movie and that movie could be uh the netflix movie red notice which stars Dwayne the rock johnson as uh i well it's complicated he's um investigating crime but is he also doing crime and then ryan reynolds is doing art heists and uh it's it's dumb but it's fun (laughs) if you like to watch heists and as established i do um, and then I've I've invoked Gambit's good name a lot here. Um, so really, like you can't you can't go wrong with like a X Men comic featuring Gambit. Actually, you can. A lot of them are like really whack, but maybe fun to me. But one that's good actually is from a few years ago. Uh, Kelly Thompson did like a Rogue and Gambit uh, miniseries called Rogue and Gambit, and it's by Kelly Thompson and illustrated by Per Perez. So that's good. If 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 you like that guy, which I do. He's a prime X-Man. He is a prime X-Man. Yeah, if you want other Nora Roberts books that have heists in them, the Nora Roberts slash JD Rob duo, uh, remember when the first part of the book is about a diamond heist, and then the second part of the book is Eve Dallas investigating that diamond heist, like a hundred years later, 80 years later. Uh, so that's really fun. You get to see two sides of, of sort of the investigation. Uh, also three fates by Nora Roberts has some sort of, has another, we got to steal this thing from somebody who's a total garbage human being uh, with some delightful characters. So those are some good reads. Also any JD Robb book. Uh, if you just want to see a sexy thief guy who steals things in his past and has never done anything wrong, which would be Rourke. Uh, also good reads hell yeah a couple popular ya books that you've probably already read but are good heist books and i do recommend are six of crows and aces wild uh so yeah just heists um i do feel like ace is wild so six of crows by lee bardugo like you probably know that one i feel like ace is wild is a little bit less uh well known and it doesn't have a netflix adaptation and just to be clear that the ace in the title is a pun because it is a group of asexuals doing crime. So if that appeals to you. Yeah, maybe that was just popular like within my immediate circle. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's a good book, but to put it on the same level as Six of Crows, I feel like is not quite accurate in terms of sheer popularity. To be honest, I completely forgot about the Netflix adaptation. <laughs> That's, that's fine but even without it I'm, yeah i'm sorry to say lee bardugo has far outsold aces wild i've who's the author of that i, I don't remember i have to google it i just wanted anyway. to oh, just real quick oh, go ahead. um unrelated to 
readers advisories but i do want to note there is one single time in the book that booth meets a cop and when he met him i was going to be like oh no is this going to be like the cop that then follows his him throughout the rest of the book and is becomes like his best friend or something and it doesn't the cop never shows up he's there for like two seconds and then there's never another cop in the book which is great so true it's surprising because nora roberts generally loves a cop she does they they are not really part of this story so if you're looking for a cop free book this one gets a thumbs up Amanda DeWitt is the author of Aces Wild. All right. Well, maybe one day she will sell as many books as Lee Bardugo. One can hope. Um, Because also, I think this was her first book. Anyway, uh, you can can look up Aces Wild later if you want more details about that. Because we're going to move on and play a quick round of Would You Rather. Would you rather go to college under a presumed name and do all the work and get good grades but not earn actual credits? Or be an eternal vampiric high schooler. Um, I'm going to choose go to college under a presumed name and not earn real credits because as established earlier, I have to imagine that if you're doing that, you have the ability to like hack in and get whatever, which I have to imagine means that you can also hack in and get a diploma afterwards, even if you didn't technically graduate. Um which does feel useful and does feel like something that you could then move on with your life and do other things as opposed to just going to high school literally forever. I also would go to college under presumed name just because I don't want to be an eternal vampire that is on Mm -hmm. the earth when the sun becomes a red giant and explodes and swallows the earth. So high school aside, I don't want to live that long. Wow. Big picture. So, um, yeah, I mean, same, just, and we've talked about this with Twilight before, is, like, why don't the Cullens just pretend to go to, like, com- community college, because you just get more, like, freedom as a college student than as a high schooler. So, yeah, although I still question Booth's plan here, I do, I would still take it over the Cullens. Um, how about, would you rather join a high school Shakespeare club or be in a high school production of Bye Bye Birdie? I okay so here's the thing I was in high school in both lit club and theater (laughs) yeah yeah I mean same um I think I can't really sing um Mm -hmm. which I so I think I'm gonna choose um Shakespeare club yeah me too uh yeah I am definitely the world's worst actor so Shakespeare Club would be my my go-to. Yeah, I mean, like, I did tech crew in high school, and I did really appreciate the booth talks about, like, recruiting kids to be in tech crew and, like, enjoying seeing them, like, you know, discover new skills and blah, blah, blah. But, like, in Shakespeare Club, we got to take a day trip to Chicago to see um, productions at Chicago Shakespeare Theater, and you got to get out of school, and that was great. Um, and then finally, would you rather eat booth's home cooking or eat at steaks and cakes which is of course the fictional restaurant from christian mingle the movie that only serves steaks and cakes you know uh, booth's home cooking sounds incredible 
Uh, but to be honest, like at the end of the day, he does seem to do a lot of New Orleans cooking, which does involve a lot of things that I'm allergic to. And also, you know, where else could I get like a really good quality steak and cake at the same time than from our beloved sponsor, Steaks and Cakes? So I will be going with Steaks and Cakes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not sure. I mean, he does mention he has the barbecue party. But other than that, he's not like a real meat steak cooking guy and i don't think he ever makes any pastries so is booth like a cake free home who wants that Ooh. no one he does bake bread from scratch every week which is tempting. not a cake it's not not a, a cake not a cake but fresh baked bread is a prime eat i must say <laughs> but, if, but if he if he baked a fresh cake every day Oh my gosh. Can you imagine? Um, but he doesn't. He doesn't. And the people at Steaks and Cakes do. So I will join you at Steaks and Cakes, of yeah. course. Like, those are the real heroes. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, now it's time for the Rock Paper Snicked, where Kate will say who Dwayne the Rock Johnson would be if he were in this book. And I'll say who Wolverine would be if he were in this book. And Christine can choose which most enhances the book or can choose paper, which is to leave the book as is. So it was really hard to change anything in this near perfect book. Mm -hmm. Uh, So keeping that in mind, um, The Rock, if he were in this book, would be another associate of um, Booth's from his thieving days. And he would call on The Rock to help with this final heist against Laporte. And The Rock would just maybe come in and help maybe get the guy who they end up pinning the heist on to buy in or maybe he'd help with security but there would be like some flashbacks maybe and maybe some scenes earlier in the book of like you know booth doesn't like to do to work with other people but he does occasionally and maybe this is an instance of him occasionally working with someone else to do like a cool heist and then calling on that person the rock uh to help him with this final heist against laporte but otherwise not changing the book too much um, one thing that we didn't talk about in detail is his his New Orleans friend Sebastian, who um lives like in the bayou, like it's like on a dock basically, and so he looks out the window and there's like alligators, or as he calls them in his uh Cajun French cocodrilles. And there's a part where Miranda meets him and she's like, One question, what's a cocodrille? And it's like you can, I mean, it, it It sounds pretty much, like, I don't speak French either, but it sounds a lot like Crocodile. Like, you can put that together from context clues, Miranda. Anyway, so there's just, like, casual Coco drills outside his window all the time. And I think Wolverine would not even really be in this story, except you would just kind of, like, they would look out the window and Wolverine would be in there, like, wrestling a Coco drill, uh, just, like, for fun. And they'd be like, mm, just another classic New Orleans jape, Wolverine wrestling a crocodile. <laughs> and then they would like move on and never discuss it again. Um, I have to say that I cannot imagine that the character of Wolverine was not specifically created to wrestle a crocodile outside of Sebastian's Bayou <laughs> home. Right. So like, I can't like that is his purpose. And maybe that's not what they originally intended but I can see it so clearly that right. Yeah. That is what would, that was the thing that would improve this almost perfect book. All right. That's fair. Yeah. Uh, also, I want to be clear. He does not kill the cocoa drill. They just wrestle and it's like, oh. just for fun. <laughs> and then they like, 
They're like buddies. They're like they, they like. Then they go get a beer together afterwards. Yeah. Yes, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. It's like how Wolverine just keeps his physique as he just wrestles his coca. Yes. What do we think he has? An, I guess it's just Bub, right? It's just Bub the Coca Drill. <laughs> Absolutely, yes. <laughs> um, beautiful. All right. Well, that's a game where everyone wins, um, including the Coco Drill because he has a new friend, <laughs> <laughs> and he gets to wrestle with Wolverine. What? Yeah. What do you want? Um. All right. Well, now it's time for Duarte's corner, where my cat Duarte shares his opinions on the book. Dorothy, you are so right. I mean, cat burglars are so well known in our culture. There, sh- there should there there was a little bit of a cat in there, but there should have been like a full cat burglar, like his sidekick was yeah. a cat. I I can see. I think that would that I think I have to take back what I was saying about how hard it would be to find something to enhance that book. I do think if he had like a lovable cat sidekick who did crime with him, that would enhance the book. You're right. Duarte, I just really want to know, and I know you can't probably can't really tell us because of NDAs, but were you Nora Roberts' uh, reference for all the thieving and crime that was going on in this book? And if you could just meow maybe quietly to let us know. Yeah, I thought so. (laughs) (laughs) I knew it. Uh, I couldn't have picked a better person, a better cat. Uh, Prime cat. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Is Harvey Uh, mad at you for calling another cat the prime cat? She's sleeping. (laughs) No, no, no. Prime is a tear. Like, (laughs) Harvey's also prime cat. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. She's prime snoozing right now. Oh, I wish that were me. Um, but it could be me soon because uh, now it's. Uh, do any humans have any closing thoughts on Nightwork by Nora Roberts? This book was so good, <laughs> so fantastic. I just I love a story where where there's just a person, a character, and they just go in and they just crush everything they do. I don't want any of this like oh they got caught or this happened. Like nope, just went straight in and everything went perfectly. Love it. I so I usually when I'm like settling down for bed at night, I play I do a crossword or I play a game on my phone while listening to my phone read something to me. And I had to stop having it read me this book because I kept staying up way too late (laughs) listening to it. So I had to like make a rule for myself that this could not be my bedtime reading. (laughs) (laughs) Hell yeah. Um, Yeah. Nora Roberts is great. This book is great. Crime is great. <laughs> prime crime is Stress. so good. Prime so crime. Good. Prime crime, crime is when is it's prime. Yeah, prime crime is when it's when it's basically victimless. The only victim is a rich person who is still rich at the end of it. Yeah. All right. Well, if you would like to come tell us about your favorite prime eats and whether they are or not are not cheese triangles, <laughs> um, we're on Facebook and Instagram at worst bestseller spelled normally. We're on, uh, and also on Blue Sky, sort of, um, and also sort of on Twitter at Worst Bestseller with no S because a Coco Drill just chomped up that S and ate it right down. And that's okay. We're fine. 
You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, all the places where you find podcasts. And if you do find us, please take a moment to rate and review. If you rate and review, it moves us up on the charts and makes it easy for new people to find us. If we don't rate and review, we are going to let Booth break into your house and just move some stuff around (laughs) when you're not there. And you don't want to deal with that. Yeah, like maybe your cat. Oh, no. We're also on Patreon at patreon.com slash worstbestsellers. Patreon is a service where you pledge a small monthly recurring donation that goes to us to do things like keep our website up and running, keep our equipment up to date, and let us go to Boonesboro. (laughs) And uh, in exchange, you get perks like a monthly bonus episode of the podcast where we talk about things that we're into, postcards and stickers in the mail, and all sorts of other things. I'm I'm actually how many months of Patreon would it take for us to get a fancy sapphire? A lot, I think. A prime <laughs> sapphire, you mean? A, yeah, a prime fancy sapphire. Well, if we just dedicated the money to a fancy sapphire, probably not that many months. I'm just gonna Google fancy sapphire price right now. I mean, I guess it would depend on like the size, the setting, etc. While Renata's doing that, we also do have a merch store available that you can find at worstbestsellers.com and clicking on the merch tab, where we sell all sorts of merch from our podcast to wear on your body, not yet including Prime Crime merch, but maybe soon. And finally, we do have a Discord server that you can join, also linked on worstbestsellers.com, where you can join other fans in talking about your crimes, but also like books you read and like art you're doing, what you're watching on TV, what you thought of episodes, anything like that. This this particular fancy sapphire is very nice. It's 1.84 carats. It's very fancy. It with nothing, like just just nude just the nude stone is $3312 from sapphirecompany.com so that sounds right like a legit yeah. company that sounds oh, like a legit place i would buy from yeah absolutely yeah anyway so that would that will be several months of patreon for sure <laughs> um so so thanks for your support we're going to spend it on a rock <laughs> Oh my God, can you imagine that would be so stressful to just have like a loose three thousand dollar rock yeah you'd have um, to anyway we're not doing that put it around <laughs> uh, put it on duarte's collar oh my he does deserve it uh where can people find you online renata oh uh you, you can find me on sapphirecompany.com perusing, <laughs> <laughs> perusing the list man if i were gonna buy a fancy rock it wouldn't even be a sapphire i need to stop talking about this uh you can find me at renata's <laughs> you can find me on blue sky and instagram at 14 across and christine where can people find you sadly you can only really find me here on the worst of best sellers podcast well luckily there are many past episodes with christine if you would like to uh revisit her uh charming thoughts on nora roberts charming is that the word we're using i love it i'm taking it absolutely prime charming thoughts on (laughs) <laughs> absolutely i've never not been charmed by you christine oh thanks guys uh but we'll be back in two weeks with another prime nora book and another prime mm-hmm. set of guests um 
And that book will be Sanctuary by Nora Roberts. And the guests will be a surprise, but probably you won't be that surprised. But maybe you will. Anyway, bye. Wait, wait, before you guys leave, fun fact, Sanctuary is the very first book, Nora Roberts book that they made a TV movie of. Ooh. That's good to know. Enjoy it. I'm sure we will, but maybe not as much as this one. I don't know. It's going to be hard to top. Yeah. yeah, You're not going to enjoy it as much as this one. Oh, well, at least we had this, this prime (laughs) read. (laughs) Okay. Uh, Bye. Bye. Bye.